0: What's up and welcome back to Now Style Japod, your weekly look of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan and I am here with my co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on man?
1: How to do, son. Happy St. Patrick's Day weekend. How's it going?
0: Pretty good. I, I had a pretty low-key St. Patrick's Day weekend. I saw you in Boston Friday night, and then I got out of Dodge before my old ass got ripped apart by the young bucks in Boston. How, how, how was your weekend, though?
1: It was good. We were supposed to see Connor McGregor at the... Uh... Parade. parade. But he was taken off the parade route like three blocks before he got to us because of uh, <laughs> fans not following the barricades and going crazy about it. So shocker there.
0: Anyways, we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, we're gonna be talking a little bit of music and then some movies. Spent a lot of time on Netflix this this past week. So Triple Frontier, Arrested Development, and also Gloria Bell, which was a a, quite a pleasant surprise anyways before we get too far into it hit that subscribe button if you're watching on youtube go to soundcloud.com slash and give us all the follows and give us a five-star reading review on itunes to help us out sakari dave tell me a little bit about sakari this is his first project we know him from what one song before this
1: yep that's it sakari (laughs) signed early this year to tde obviously about a little year and change actually no more now damn came out in 2017
0: 2017
1: yeah and he's the feature the chorus on love of course was a big song off damn and that was really anyone's first exposure to him i guess it makes sense that he stayed in house with tde but you know i was never anticipating uh his debut record or anything this new ep which is a quick 20 minutes or so but I mean, my, my takeaway, like, going in was, like, you know, I think, like, the TDE co-sign, like, signing of artists kind of has, like, lost its luster, at least in my opinion. I think, like, originally it was J-Rock, Kendrick, Soul, and Q, and, like, that was the group, and they announced the first two new ones in 2013, Isaiah Rashad and SZA, and, like, neither of those hit off right away, but quickly became really big, especially SZA. But since then, is anyone really looking out for Lance Skywalker or Sir, or Reason, or now Zakari? I don't think so. You know, I, I don't think that it's it, the co signer once was, but nevertheless, we still listen to it because he was signed. I think that's probably still the reason we checked out this tape or EP, but I, I wasn't too keen on it. I thought it was just kind of dull, honestly. What was your take on it?
0: Yeah, I found it. I didn't find it super interesting. I thought there were a couple songs that stood out. Don't Trip, I thought was probably my favorite and then 10 out of 10 like the drums and that really just like brought me in but it sounded very same samey to me it's interesting because you mentioned love by kendrick and damn great album we talked to when we reviewed it how love is just a great love song we didn't expect that from kendrick and reading up a little bit on it zakari actually pitched that song to kendrick that he, it was a song called lovely kendrick reworked it a little bit but that was zakari's brainchild initially which is a I mean, it's pretty impressive that he brings this song to Kendrick that then gets put on the album, and it's a very good song. But there wasn't anything that level on this. And I think when I was trying to think, who do I compare Zakari to? The first person that came to mind was 070 Shake, actually. Mm. You know how 070 jumped on Kanye's album for... Ghost Town. Yeah, Ghost Town, thank you. And kind of stole the show, and people walked away like, wow, man. You know, 070 Shake sounded great on that, but 070 Shake has such an interesting voice, and I think Zakari, for a lot of R&B artists, just kind of blends into the crowd. And there's not anything about him specifically at this moment, especially from this project, Run Wild, Run Free, that makes him stand out in any way.
1: Yeah, you know, as I, I see a lot of people describe the voice, like, oh, yeah, this car has these great pipes. I mean, like, no, it's a good voice. But again, like, I think if the music is not that lively for this kind of R&B, you're just going to lose people. And, like, I thought Midas Touch, which I think was the lead single, I thought that song was fine. I didn't think anything was super offensive, but I just don't know if it stands out as much, which, again, is disappointing, because as you said, he definitely stood out with his first impression on Damn. The fact that it's been this long, almost two years, for that debut project to come out, I don't know. It's kind of questionable to me as well. Like, mean, well, well, I mean, I didn't think he was on tour with Kendrick for a lot of his time. So, but still, I you would think that they've been rushing to get this this EP out. I don't know. I'm curious to see what's next. Obviously, again, with with more music, we it's tough to know how many of these songs are brand new. A lot of this could be old, or rework things yeah. the way Love was reworked. So, you know, I don't want to judge it too harshly, but I was certainly underwhelmed.
0: I think I would like to see Zakari find the producers that The Weekend worked with on like, Glass Tables or something like that, or his earlier stuff, or even his most recent you know, EP that came out. Something that's just a little bit like darker and see if maybe that can add a little mm. bit of bite to him. Because I, I think if he had a Gustafelstein to give a call back to last week, say. Get, get that <laughs> Gustafelstein production, he might actually be able to make something a little bit more interesting. J- just a thought. I, I also thought when I was listening to him, I hear Weekend Light. So I was like, eh, maybe if he steers into that. Anyways, Zakari underwhelmed. But Dizzy Wright, Nobody Cares, Work Harder. This was an album I was pleasantly surprised with. I don't really know much about Dizzy Wright. So my expectations going in were pretty much none. And right from the first track, I felt like there was a groove to this album that really just kind of took me along for the ride and I just like flowed with it. It helped me understand a little bit who Dizzy Wright is.
1: Yeah, he's from Flint, Michigan. I believe he's 28 years old now, but he's been around for a while. I think I first started listening to him like 2012, 2011 maybe, and he was actually an XSL freshman way back on the 2013 cover, which is notable because that cover was probably one of the strongest ones they ever had. Travis Scott, Joey, Q, Soul, Action Bronson, Logic, Chief Keefe, tons of huge names that are all active right now. And Dizzy Wright was picked among them. And he kind of, like, busts on the scene early as a conscience rapper. You know, someone who's definitely a thoughtful guy and that easily comes across on this album. But he, he like, first got his big break because he was signed to Funk Volume. He was signed to Hopson. And rap fans know that a Funk Volume, honestly, fell apart. Hopson certainly had a fall from grace, critically. But Dizzy seems to still be cool with some of his old label mates dj hoppa pops up on this jaron benton has a feature they were both funk volume artists and i think you know the title nobody cares work harder i think that's kind of just a way to explain his career because he's never gotten super mainstream despite making lots of good songs lots of good tapes you know he had a good logic feature a while back but he's never really gotten any bigger than he was a few years ago but he just kept grinding And i think that's kind of a cool uh a simple but cool onus to have about your career and yeah I thought this was I don't want to say it's more of the same negatively or anything but I think like it's what I've come to expect from what Dizzy Wright does but I actually haven't been checking out a lot of his recent music so I was happy that I saw this was coming out and gave it a chance because I liked it.
0: Yeah I i mean it's interesting I, I think he as an artist I wrote down nothing really stands out about him but just feels so quality i think in terms of i don't think there was one song on here that i was like wow that was absolute crap but there weren't a lot of songs that i was like gotta put that one on the playlist or gotta save that one for later i think i think he's kind of in that middle tier of of rappers right now and that's an okay place to be but i'm sure for him it's disappointing to feel like he's kind of stuck in a sense and i think the album title Mm
1: -hmm. You know, eludes that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. My favorite track, which is also his most played song on Spotify, is called "Kilma Kindness." And you hear a song like that, you just you know, the dude definitely oozes potential. But I'm not really sure what it was. Like, perhaps, perhaps it's I don't want to say it's writing because he clearly has a smart pen. But maybe, maybe it's just his his vocal pattern hasn't caught on with anyone. I don't know. He he is I don't want to say like sleepy, but he's comes across as a softer spoken guy. Mm -hmm. Um. And his first early hits that start getting like blog attention again we're, were conscious tracks, so I guess that kind of you know makes sense. But yeah, I, again, I think this is this, this is solid. And if you've never listened to this right before, I think you can just jump right into this if you if you so choose. But I also don't think this will change his current predicament. He'll probably again this will probably get under listened to just because that's kind of been his wave this whole time, unfortunately. Yep. But yeah, I think you can pop in and there's some, you know, some thoughtful tracks, some uh, groovy beats. And uh, yeah, I think he'll just come out the other side and, you know, just keep it going. I think that's what's going to happen with this.
0: It's funny. We just mentioned Sakari and there were two singles dropped this week, Schoolboy Q and Anderson Paak both dropped them. And I was, I, I'm my hype level for those two projects is pretty high right now, especially Schoolboy Q. Like. Can't wait to see what he oh, comes yeah. out with. Dizzy Wright isn't going to come anywhere near those guys, but this is still a solid listen. If, if you don't have anything else to check out on your new music Friday, you could do a lot worse than Dizzy Wright. Any songs here that stood out to you or that you want to give a shout out to before we move on?
1: Mm-hmm. I like the Jaren Ben feature on Keep It 100. I thought that that hook was a little weak, but I thought those verses were actually pretty good. And even the first song, Self Loves Powerful, Mazi, another he's almost like west coast dizzy where he's been around he's a little older but he's been around a long time and like the real heads like know about him and like big him up but he's never gotten super big either so that's kind of a interesting uh i guess a collab there for the meta reasons but yeah i think you you just just jump around yeah there's plenty here
0: self-love is powerful is probably my favorite shout out the real heads love those real heads why don't we jump to some tv real quick arrested development season five Whew. Okay, so where to start with Arrested Development? What what's your relationship with Arrested Development?
1: Thinking think about Arrested Development 2019 <laughs> spoilers is kind of going to be like the whole the whole t- topic I think. But the first three seasons, you know, this what, 03 to 06 or whatever it was on Fox before it got canceled. I think anyone who knew of Arrested Development back then loved the show and definitely thought it was ahead of mm-hmm. its time in terms of callbacks and meta references. And obviously, it's quite the beam yeah. factory now. But it was just like a really smart, obviously hilarious comedy that existed within the studio 30-minute space. And I, I got to it late. I didn't get to it. Obviously, I was too young to really watch a show like that when it was on at the time. But I watched it on Netflix like tons of people did in lead up to the fourth season that came out in 2013. And that definitely was underwhelming to, I think, almost everyone who saw it. Uh, and the issue with that is that you know, coming back to 2013, the cast are all more famous, and they can't all shoot in the same same time. So they made that choice. Hurwitz made that choice to shoot bigger character driven episodes. And it was a swing. And it definitely missed. But I mean, it was a, it was a, he tried, I guess, to uh, put out more of the show. But uh, yeah, you know, I was looking back, if we never got season four, or season five, and the show was just a uh, a meme, to Obama, please bring it back. You know, yeah. like if if we we didn't have these last two seasons, I don't think anyone would cry. It's it's a weird story, man. There's a lot to it. What's your relationship with the show though, or past or present? Yeah,
0: similar to yours. I was like tangentially aware of it. My siblings definitely watched it. I'm pretty sure my brother is a fan of the show, and he was watching it when it was on tv but i was like yeah rest of development i think it was on fox and i remember it coming on like right around when the simpsons yep. would come out come on on sundays and i was like hey eh, who watches this like i couldn't really understand it at the time watching it in well i probably came around in 2010 2011 sometime like that with our with good friend of the show sean mckenna uh just blown away by the writing it's one of the most well-written shows maybe of all time just into, like you you mentioned the meta references but just like There's layers to their jokes, especially by like season three, where they're calling back to things that happened in episode like two of of the series. But there's like three different jokes tied to it now, and somehow it all makes sense (laughs) and it all feels uh, like it's held together, even as they're like upping the ante on these like ridiculous scenarios. It's absurd by the end of it. But man, getting to these more recent seasons, you mentioned season four, swing and a miss season five the first half was dropped what, sometime last year
1: yeah we never got to it. it dropped in may and like i know i was away and by the time we could have talked about it uh kanye had dropped push T and drake were beefing like, there's yeah. a lot of other stuff going on and the buzz was was mm-hmm. muted so we'd never really addressed it and in fact i don't even think i was aware of these second batch of season five episodes uh, until recently yeah it, it, it was
0: it's disappointing uh, i think there's there's two parts of it First of all, like it definitely seemed like it still struggled with people not being able to all be together. Now, it was more cohesive than season four, for sure. But I think Portia de Rossi's sparing use in the season was very evident. You know, I think the second in these last mm-hmm. episodes, you see her maybe like twice, and it seems like she really got sidelined. But also, it, it just felt so, I don't know, tonally off in a sense. I I'm not really sure exactly how to describe it but it just didn't seem to capture the magic that they had in those first three seasons even though like the the absurdity and the scenarios were were kind of there it almost felt like it got a little too far from the core in a sense and they, they do come back together as a family by the end of it but it's just this feeling like these ridiculous scenarios in the past always felt just hilarious and ridiculous, and now it just felt like, "What's going on? Like, is it Oscar? Is it George Senior? Like, I, I really just like started to almost get confused with some of it at points. So, I don't know. It, it, it was disappointing, but still, I ride for the show. Like, it, but they could put out season six, I'm still gonna watch it. I, I think the writing is so clever, and they still have some hy- hysterical moments, which, which I definitely want to get to. But, give me your opinion of season five, the second batch.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's just, the fastball is just off a little bit. You know, it's like, and then, then, like you said, this is, the structure is more back to the old days with Mm -hmm. this new season, and the cast is definitely closer, or more present together, I guess, than season four, definitely. But, you know, I just think some of, like, the absurd jokes or storylines, references, and they just don't feel as fresh as they once were. I think part of that is, like, we've now seen things, other shows are inspired by this, like, HBO's Veep in Silicon Valley specifically but tons of other stuff too and it's just seeing this now it just it just doesn't feel as special and I think there's still cool stuff like I thought like when maybe pretending to be an old person and like getting the benefits of that uh, senior community she was in like that was really well done that was funny but there's stuff like Job and like his sexuality like comes in and out of it I just feel like they never really committed to using him well I don't know All, all the Trump references uh, for Portia de Rossi's character, like I mean, literally her, her her campaign sign is in the same font and color scheme as uh, the Trump signs and stuff. It, and like obviously, a big storyline is them building a, a border wall for the southern border with Mexico, and it just felt like it was, I guess, too late because the show is technically taking place in twenty sixteen. I guess seeing Trumpian people which is what the show is always lampooning from the start. Seeing the blues now just wasn't as entertaining to me in a post-succession world, I guess. I don't know. I wanted, I wanted it to be funnier. I just felt like it was just too inconsistent with the writing this time around. Yeah, I do want
0: to say Job's sexuality. I, I didn't mind that as much. I do feel like they struggled to commit to it fully at times. But the moment when he goes into the closet converters and just <laughs> tells his entire story about his hookup with Tony Wonder, was maybe the funniest moment of the <laughs> entire season just like seeing him sitting down talking to these guys that just redo closets and like spilling his whole thing and then he has to buy the company to keep them quiet hysterical uh it's such a great idea jessica walter i also felt was a little underutilized lucille in the first three seasons it's like one of the sharpest most cutting uh and funniest characters i can really remember from tv i mean The memes and the gifs made about Lucille are like legendary, (laughs) and I really (laughs) feel like she wasn't given as much to work with, and she almost felt more of a a piece to this about George Senior and Oscar than anything. And I feel like that's really underserving such an awesome character.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, it also comes off the the. heels of all the Jeffrey Tambor stuff Uh, and getting kicked off transparent and then it coming back up when they were doing press for the first half of season five last year and Hale and Bateman they all kind of like quickly defended Tambor in like kind of like a weird way like dismissing the abuse that uh, he laid on Jessica Walter and it just seemed like they they, they, everyone involved really fumbled how that went so I think some people in general are just kind of have a bad taste in terms of even watching Jeffrey Tambor be so yeah. present and um, we mentioned m- movies like last year like Death of Stalin he's in that it's not a distraction per se but I think when the rest of the development team and cast is so involved in like the issue it also feels like it's just coming at a bad time
0: how did you feel about Michael Sarah in this
1: it just ma- reminds me again that I wish he was in more stuff yeah I know he he does a lot of low-key comedy stuff in you know, like theater stuff but like I-, I just wish he was more active in the mainstream because I love his comedic timing I always have but it also feels like he and uh, Shaquat, they've definitely like just kind of grown past these roles as part of the Blue family. Yep. Jason Bateman, I feel like he can come in and out of this role <laughs> fine. And even Will Arnett, I suppose, too. And I think it's actually really refreshing to see David Cross come back and mm. do this, too. But I don't know, Sarah and Shaquat I just felt like they're just not given as much as they usually can. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny, but like his whole thing with fake block was a really important storyline. In this season and there was really uh, michael's real involvement was, was connected to it as well i just don't know if it again was written well enough to be as an integral to the plot as it was you know
0: yeah definitely i think the writing lacked in this season even though it's still amazing how they're able to intertwine so many things and come up with such ridiculous scenarios i don't know any other thoughts on on arrested development season five
1: i mean i would i wouldn't mind if they just let it die here to be honest there's been no word as of yet if there's going to be a sixth season i have a hard time imagining they would get both tambor and walter to both return yeah so i I think the odds of it are, are not likely in general but i think i think the time has come you know we comedy on tv has evolved since then and we have similar shows like succession so i think it's okay to let the show die, but uh, you know I'd rather I'd rather that happen than it just keep having these damaging returns and get away from the greatness of the last decade. You
0: know? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't I don't see them making another season, but you never know. Would have said that probably seven years ago when Netflix put it back and then Netflix provided it anyway. So you never know what's gonna happen with Netflix. Just like I didn't know Triple Frontier was something <laughs> I needed. I, I knew I needed. One frontier, maybe even a double frontier, but a triple frontier. God damn! J.C. Chander putting out this action thriller, war survival movie. I guess is how you want to describe it. With a crazy cast, Oscar Isaac leads it. Ben Affleck, Charlie Hunnam, Pedro Pascal, and Garrett Hedlund rounds out the five. They're going to. Do we know what country it is? Colombia,
1: somewhere in South America. Yeah. I don't know if it's explicitly said, which <laughs> that might be a problem for some people that were just kind of getting thrown in there. But yeah, somewhere, somewhere, somewhere down south, South America. Yeah, don't don't really know. Andy's Mountains are involved, so that can narrow it down, <laughs> I guess.
0: And they're they're trying to basically steal money. They're going to kill this this drug lord and take his money, and they're going to keep it all for themselves. At least that's that's the switch up in the. You know, they're all mm. ex-military, all ex. I think special ops is really it. and that wet work. They're, they're the last of a dying breed. <laughs> La- last, I'm a warrior. warrior. Yeah, <laughs> freaking so so cliched and macho. Was this a good movie? Dave?
1: Yeah, I think it is. I think for the type of movie <laughs> you're going to the watch, you know, action high school. You're, heist, you're thriller, qualifying. it. Well, I am, but I think it surprised me with the. Uh, the fact that the heist happens in like the first third of the film and that the survival aspect, I think, was quite unexpected. And I think, you know, I think the narrative, I think that the plot can kind of weave in and out for people. I think your temperature may vary on that. I think there were some things that were like a little, a little confusing in terms of like just the geography, for example. It's like, why is crossing the, this mountain so important? How did you guys get here again? Why do we have to go on this side of the continent? I don't understand all of that uh, just from the cursory watch. But again, I think overall, you know, seeing all these actors that most people like be together and, you know, play military men. I don't know. I, I was amused the whole time. What did you think?
0: I was pretty lukewarm on it. I mean, it's it's enjoyable and, and I, I would say it's fine. I, I didn't find all the performances to be all that great. I mean, Oscar Isaac, I thought was pretty good. His role, he has probably the most. Uh, I don't know about the most to work, I guess that maybe the most to work with just because yeah. he has the most he, lines. he but carries it, yeah, i mean, I also think it's it, like seeing him like silently just like recognize like how much this has gone to shit was like pretty funny and entertaining not not that this is a funny movie, but it was just like funny watching his face be like, oh shit like. How did we get to this mm-hmm. point? I thought Ben Affleck was kind of just like whatever. Just it, it was just funny seeing him like flip that switch. It's like that that person that just doesn't know their limits. He's like, ah, no, I I know I should stay away from this. Then like gets one taste and he's like, give me all of it. Like I need all the money. We have more time.
1: <laughs> fifteen minute cushion. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You've never missed an out in your life. I give us a fifteen minute cushion. Hard out. Yeah. <laughs> he it was fine. Charlie Hunnam nothing kind of role really i guess he's supposed to be like the moral compass of it pedro pascal like
1: i like pedro pascal because i thought his guy uh, was a catfish (laughs) fish the pilot he was more of a um clearly comes across as one of the most competent people in the crew and the most level-headed and the fact that he was more reserved i think was a cool touch because that's obviously most people know him most famously for playing Mm oberon on game of thrones a very flamboyant uh, showy role so that's a a little different from what you expect. I guess more aligned with his uh, character on Narcos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hunnam disappointed me just because like, I think I think the script didn't do many favors, but also he just kind of wavered in terms of his performance. I think he's off to do sometimes, where his accent comes in and out or his inflections. And like, it's fine, like it's good enough. But again, I thought Headland was better. I thought in general the stunt casting of them as brothers was like really mm-hmm. smart and surprise we haven't seen yet. Yep. I like that. But Headland again, like kind of. On this bit of a heater since Mudbound came right. out, you know, and uh, just doing just doing all the, the these movies where he just kind of gets to be like a weird character actor. Affleck is interesting because when he died, and he's the first one to die, the only one to die in the crew, and didn't see that coming at first. But then I, I'm thinking back, I'm like, oh wait, why would he do this darker, dour performance coming off Bruce Wayne in like Gone Girl? Oh, well, that's why, because he gets to take take the uh,
0: take, take the the yell
1: in the end. I think, like, the politics of, like, the murder of innocent farmers and whatnot, that definitely, your mileage may vary on that, to be blunt. Also, watching a mule fall off a cliff is tough tough hang, but then seeing all the money float was kind of cool. So, I don't know. I think this cool set pieces. I think the action, though, I was maybe a little in the action. I thought I, I was expecting right? more more of it, to be honest. And uh, the fact that we have the heist happened so early, as I said, and then it goes into more survival. I thought the survival stuff was cool but probably not what everyone thought we were getting
0: so Catherine bigelow is a uh, executive producer on this and it it almost was like two zero dark 30 ish where like it was like surgical these guys running in and they're just like like like, one shot it's like i want my action films i want bullets like cutting up the walls i want to see like some crazy things and really they were just like super competent soldiers who knew exactly what they were doing and even when Affleck got shot in the head, it was just because they were having this conversation and like trying to like, then they begin this gunfight and Affleck thinks he takes someone down. and The like one person wasn't able to get in position in time, I guess. They, they were almost like too competent for this to be like super fun. I think that's the thing about the movies. For an action movie or a war movie, it wasn't very fun, which is fine. Because, but I don't know if it had enough to say that it justified it being as serious as it was.
1: Yeah, I think that's spot on. Because like, I was actually like stressed as hell watching it. Like, I thought it was definitely engaging on like the thriller angle, but you're right; it didn't really have enough to say, and thus tonally was just a little off at times because it didn't commit to being a Sicario. Where like topics of morality are littered through that, and like a lot of people didn't like Sicario do. But again, it still tried. But this one. It, it, again, it, it, there's not there's not enough humor or I guess the wisecrafting comes in, in and out. It just kind of comes off as a bit of a dark time, dark right. hang, you know? And I still liked it because I, I still thought it was pretty engaging. But yeah, I think that we could tweak that somehow. I think it, you could actually really level it up because even though what we got, I mean, they don't make action movies of this caliber, this this scale um, that aren't part of James Bond, Mission Impossible, or Fast right. and Furious. We just don't get these kind of movies. So, the fact that they were able to make something, that clearly looks like it costs some yeah. money. You know, they're, 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 they're crashing a helicopter in this mm-hmm. you, on location. It looks great. I And there's some really cool shots of the vistas and landscapes and whatnot. But, you know, at least Netflix, uh, you know, I think they should get credit for just having the kudos to pick this up or at least give it some kind of financing. Because, again, we're not going to see stuff like this that often. Yeah. Uh,
0: I'm glad this movie got made. And, you know, thinking about what it was trying to be, I think it was trying to be a little bit expendables, a little bit... Zero 30 and a little bit American Sniper, you know, in terms of like what it was trying to say and what the point of it was. Sure. And I don't think it really hit on any of those. And oh, and obviously, God, I'm forgetting it. Lone Survivor is like the, the easy survival war uh, mm-hmm. film comp for it. I mean, I think it, it's a good movie. and I'm excited that Netflix is able to make something like this. And uh, I, I just want to see them keep putting out these sort of movies because even if this one isn't a total hit, it's a movie that. If I had like two hours to kill, which never really happens, but if I did, I wouldn't mind throwing it on and just being like, okay, here we go. Like, let's just enjoy Ben Affleck and Oscar Isaac like being crazy for a couple of hours. So, seventy-two percent Rotten Tomatoes. I was surprised it was that high.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. Would love to see it in the theater, but again, that's just not realistic anymore. Yeah, I was
0: out for one week before it's on up. Well, I wasn't gonna make it there. Something I did make it to the the theater to see was Gloria Bell. Sebastian. Lilo's reimagining of of his uh, 2013 Spanish film Gloria and this movie is sitting at 96 percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now. I mean Julianne Moore, it's John Tutoro and that's pretty much it. Julianne Moore carries this thing solely on dancing feet (laughs) I suppose. I found this movie to be very interesting for what it was when you go to the movies, a lot of times you think about these big stories. I mean, we talk about Star Wars, we talk about Avengers: Endgame, and the Oscars usually rewards these smaller, these smaller story films, the ones that are more human. And this is maybe one of the most like human stories I can remember seeing in the movie theater because it's pretty much just about like a middle class, divorced white mother who has some bad relationships and is just trying to like figure out. That's where it is. And that's it's like a very normie type story, but it got made and it was actually pretty interesting. I thought, what did you think of the
1: film? Yeah, I think, again, the, the, the small scale that you just referenced uh, definitely stands out right away. But also uh, Sebastian's camera techniques, they're very simple. I mean, we get close ups of her and of Julianne Moore in the car. You know, when, when we're having conversations, again, that's a lot of like close close, you know, uh, upper thirds of people's bodies. There's just really not any, like, zoomed out shots in this. It's this really personal film which makes sense because it's a story just about the mundane aspects of humanity, I guess you could say. Yeah. I don't know. And, like, I actually haven't seen either of his two most recent movies, Fantastic Woman, which won Best Foreign Film two years ago, and then Disobedience, which I know is on Prime right now, which is with Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weisz. And those were put out on Um Blaker Street and Sony, but this new one, uh, Gloria Bell, is on A24. So he's definitely been bouncing around his distributors, which is, I think, interesting. But this is also, like, the first one he really put out post the Oscar win. And I think the fact that you're going to remake your own film, like, five years after you've put yeah. it out, quite the ballsy <laughs> yeah. move. But honestly, I think I think it, it was pretty cool. I mean, the way he talks about it, Julianne Moore really connected with him and connected with the film and that they really, like, assume that they were a match made in heaven to Americanize this, this story once yeah. more. And I'm really glad because I, I haven't seen the first film, Gloria, He's from uh, Chile. Yeah, I think they get an English version of this, get it on something as presti- prestigious as A24 is really cool. And yeah, as you said, I think more is, is awesome. Yeah. And, and the writing is just really smart. Even the whole the pace of the story, I think, has great payoffs, whether it's obvious stuff like what happens with the paintball gun <laughs> at the end. <laughs> Even stuff that maybe is a little eyebrow-raising, like the Sean Astin cameo. Um, I think overall, though, I I think it's just a really pleasant movie. I actually went in with not watching the trailer at all. So I really didn't know much about it other than that. It was like a smaller scale story. And I'm glad I didn't really know much because I think it just is really engaging right away, which says a lot about a movie this small in scope. As I was
0: watching, I was like, is that Sean Astin? And I was like, I can't remember the last time Sean Astin came in and played like a sleazeball. Which is basically what his character is in this, and
1: it's a good point. Yeah, he was like really genuine, honest guy in Stranger Things, right? That's the most recent high profile thing I can think of.
0: I just uh, he always kind of comes across as like the the nice guy who's always trying to do the right thing. And this, mm-hmm. he's like a married guy <laughs> who's picking up this woman in Vegas, like goddamn. But yeah, more was with Austin, awesome. and I really liked Tutoro's performance too as a uh, fuck boy Arnold, who <laughs> is basically just like. Uh, he's he's this i guess later aged you know uh, really senior he's not really a senior he's what 60s i think he was 50s, in his 50s 60s. he said did they say I that i don't know if they said it i'm not sure but you know re- recently divorced man who has ex-wife and two daughters who are very very reliant on him seems like for mental health issues and he's kind of sucked into this dependent uh, unhealthy in- environment i guess they came from and he falls in love with Gloria and wants to be with her and then just ends up leaving her pretty much every single time. I hated his character, but I thought Tutoro played it really, really well. And I feel like everything he does at this point is just quality, like whether it's night of, you know, he he made a reference recently on I think it was at least one podcast that he there's going to we're going to see the, the Jesus man again from. The, the the dude oh the, the big lebowski i'm sorry and i just think this guy's been around for, yeah thank you for what 20 30 years acting now and
1: oh yeah he's out
0: quality constantly like he's probably one of the most underrated actors of his generation
1: i i would say i mean like he i think what he burst on really quick with like quiz mm-hmm. show back in like 94 like obviously he's became a big top talent right away but we, it seemed like it was kind of going off the rails for Turturo, you know, when he was playing um, Agent uh, Lennox, was it? The Sector 7 guy in Transformers. <laughs> that was r- really out there role, and I mean, think like he was having a good time with it. But, you know, it wasn't until the night of, uh, back in, was it 2015 or 16, where it's like, oh, this is a nice meaty role for someone of Turturo's caliber. It's nice to see. And then have this come back, Gloria Bell. I think this is a very inspired choice because, again, like, like Julianne Moore, uh, she, I think she's pretty well uh well-established well and respected in terms of like leading actresses. But Turturro, you know, he, he kind of comes and goes because he's been around some time and we kind of forget about him. So I think I was really happy to see him in this. And I, I like this run he's going on of showing, yeah, I got these chops. Like, I, let me get more of these yeah. prestige roles, which which, which which was obviously cool to see if you're just a fan of his. I mean, is there anything else that stood out to you about this movie? Um, You know, it's weird. It actually premiered at Toronto Film Festival back last fall. It's been it's quite the, a wait in terms of getting a theatrical run but it's actually a24 put out in a lot of theaters so hopefully it'll get a a lot of eyeballs been out a few weekends now but anything else stand out to you about it
0: well you mentioned the camera natasha brayer's cinematography i thought was really good it seemed like it was a lot of like handheld camera work um and she also i thought had just some really clever shots whether it was the way that she framed uh, shots at the dinner you know for michael sarah's birthday you know where tatura was kind of on the outside of the rest of the family together um or just like out of frame at points and i thought that was really well done and also her like a lot of the scenes in vegas stand out or a lot of the scenes in like the clubs when she's dancing or even the, the last scene <laughs> where she's dancing at the wedding i thought we're all just like really well done and really well shot i, I keep thinking about that scene where she's coming up the escalator in vegas and it just like shows, like, all the reflections going on and mm-hmm. on, which I thought was pretty interesting. Any shots that stood out to you? I know you like the camera work as well. Yeah,
1: I really like the, the way he Lelio would cut the singing in the car just really abruptly because yeah. like, it was a close-up. Then we obviously would switch to a new, a new shot. I, I thought that was really effective. But, yeah, I think everything about the Caesar's Palace uh, scenes mm-hmm. was really effective because, obviously, it really kind of captures everything, like, the loneliness, everything that's kind of being meditated on the whole time really kind of shows you how... Uh, Sometimes in places as seemingly grand as Las Vegas, where you're going to find st- uh, stuff out about yourself like that. I was actually surprised about how much nudity there was for someone like Julianne Moore, you know. Um, yeah. But it's commitment. So I respect it, obviously. Also, Michael Sarah, second time we're talking about him today, I kind of liked him as this this quietly angry son. Like he just was like really like fed up with his, his situation, which uh, to that I say, don't have kids until you want kids that's my take on that one but <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I thought he was good and I, I, I really liked that commentary I, I really liked Holland Taylor in this who played her mom and I thought the scenes between them were just stupendous especially when she does come to Vegas and saves her it was just like such a great commentary on how like your mom I never stops. I already paid mom. for them and I, I just thought she was really wonderful you know I it, I, I think about that dinner scene and the tension in that you know you talked about the tension during triple frontier i felt more tension watching that scene and just like all like the dynamics at play of it were like my stomach was like in knots and i was like squirming in my seat, mm. so it was so uncomfortable i thought that we, we... were in love <laughs> <laughs> i should have been there i should have been there. <laughs> like just so <laughs> many like ridiculous like parts of it um yeah i mean it was just really interesting and engaging throughout and i also really liked the final scene i thought seeing julianne moore's like just acting through her face and that you know she comes out and she's kind of just like miming along and then you can just see her like stop for a second like processing things and then just kind of like let herself go and i thought it was just really an awesome way to end the movie and a great note to kind of like uh, you know, put the cherry on top of the Sunday, so to speak. I thought the soundtrack of this was really good, too. Um, you know, a lot of, like, 70s hits, 70s, 80s, and I thought um, it played into the movie really well. Anything else that stood out to you? I think we covered a lot of it.
1: Yeah, is this your favorite movie of 2019 thus far?
0: Uh, if it is, I have a feeling it'll be short-lived because Us is out next mm-hmm.
1: week. Right, of course.
0: Yeah, it's probably better than Captain Marvel for me.
1: High Flying Bird, perhaps.
0: Yeah, no, I think i go with this one, but it's going to be short-lived. I I could potentially see more get a nomination for this, though.
1: You got to figure A24 will definitely push her performance in that campaign. I mean, obviously, I don't think they would try and get anything really more from this, perhaps, to Turtle as well. But yeah, I think uh, it'll come up again, her performance, no doubt. Definitely check out Gloria Bell.
0: And Triple Frontier and Arrested Development, because you probably have Netflix and you can check those out easily. What are we going to be telling people to check out next week? Us, for sure, is, is the big one.
1: Yeah, Us is the big one. I mean, other than that, I mean, we'll see what we get to. Rich the Kid's dropping The World is Yours 2. That lead single, Splashin', I think it's really hard, so I'm actually looking forward to this project. X-Hex is dropping. Jerry Lewis is dropping. That movie Hotel Mumbai with Dev Patel is getting uh, well-reviewed. I'm not sure if that'll be in wide release this weekend we'll see but i'm looking forward to that at some point and yeah I'm, i wouldn't be surprised if we get something ghost drop because it's a bit of a quieter music weekend and that's going to stop soon in april as some bigger releases come out so always pay attention right
0: always pay attention always keep your eyes open always be closing out uh, one of those anyways
1: <laughs> 8 BC.
0: always always be hitting that subscribe button on nostalgia pod whether it's on youtube SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod on iTunes. Just be subscribing and sharing, giving us those five-star rating and reviews. We appreciate you. We're, We're the last of a dying breed, Dave and I. We're warriors, so help us out here, folks. I'm a warrior. Peace out.